What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Tanner Hoops with you Monday afternoon. The Sports Pen is here on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP mobile app. Well, the weekend's come and gone. I enjoyed it. Too short, but I enjoyed it. We got to do it again here soon. Nonetheless, we have got a work week full of sports talk, full of the Sports Pen. One of my favorite parts of the day, getting to sit here and talk the talk with you guys. Anyway, we've got plenty to go over. We've got NFL, NBA, we've got the World Series set, hockey's been in action, college sports, a lot of movers, especially in the Big Ten. It's going to be a packed show. Always is. But we'll start in the NFL. We'll look back from yesterday. Uh, Starts in London. Early morning kickoff yesterday, the L.A. Chargers hold on for a one-point victory over Tennessee, 20-19. Chargers are now 5-2. They continue to win ball games, surpass expectations. Tennessee falls to three and four. Minnesota, no problems with the Jets. The Vikings win thirty-seven to seventeen. Vikings are now four two and one, take over first place in the North Division. Jets fall back to three and four. Detroit with a thirty-two twenty-one victory over Miami yesterday. Lions back to five hundred to three and three. Miami falling to four and three. Houston winners over Jacksonville twenty to seven the final score. Houston's four and three. Jacksonville suddenly in a ton of trouble as they lose their third straight. They are three and four. Indianapolis thirty seven five over Buffalo. How about that for a football score? 37-5. Colts beat Buffalo. Both teams are 2-5. and five. New England able to beat Chicago 38-31 minus Rob Gronkowski. Patriots are 5-2. and two. Bears are a 500 team at 3-3. Three and three. Overtime victory for Tampa Bay over Cleveland 26-23. How many times has Cleveland gone to overtime this year? Seems like every five minutes they're playing an overtime game. Cleveland has not won a road game in their last 24 tries. That streak continues as they fall to 2-4-1. Tampa Bay back to 500 at 3-3. Three three. Carolina scores 21 unanswered all in the fourth quarter to beat Philadelphia 21-17. Panthers are 4-2. Philadelphia falls to 3-4. New Orleans a one-point victory over Baltimore yesterday. The Saints are now 5-1. Baltimore falls to 4-3. A missed extra point from the ever reliable Justin Tucker, a guy who has set the standard for NFL kickers, proves to be the difference. By the way, Drew Brees joins the elite 500 career touchdown passing club, and he has now beaten every team in the NFL at least once with his victory over Baltimore. The LA Rams continue to roll. They remain the last undefeated team in the NFL. 39-10, they take down San Francisco. Rams are 7-0. San Fran falls to 1-6. Dallas falling at the last second to Washington. 20-17, Redskins win. Washington is 4-2. Dallas falling to 3-4. And, and then Sunday night football, Kansas City, no trouble against Cincinnati. 45-10, the final score. The Chiefs continue to roll. 6-1, start to the year for Kansas City. Meanwhile, Cincinnati falling back to 4-3. Patrick Mahomes with 22 touchdown passes for the season, the most of any player through eight games in NFL history. Keep in mind, he's only 23 years old. Last night was only his ninth career start. That is a look back at the NFL on Sunday. Once again, the week got going on Thursday night with Denver's 45-10 victory over Arizona. The week ends tonight when the New York Giants visit Atlanta on Monday Night Football. So we have plenty to go over. Let's start yesterday with a few of the headlines. You had the Chargers continuing to win. Like I said, they're going to be a postseason team. Tennessee, their defense is not bad. 
Their defense has not been a problem for them this year. Offense is horrible for the Titans. Offensive line is horrible. Marcus Mariota has no time to try and do anything. You never hear about Marcus Mariota getting the ball in the fourth quarter. It's not that anyone thinks Marcus Mariota is not a guy I want the ball in the hands of in the fourth quarter, but I don't want him behind the offensive line he has. We may never get to know how good of a fourth quarter quarterback Marcus Mariota could be. That is if he stays with the Titans and they never fix their offensive line. Keep in mind, he was sacked 11 times last week. That's more than passing completions he had in that game. That's one away from the NFL record. So we're never going to get to see how good Marcus Mariota can be unless either the Titans upgrade the offense, particularly the line, or he gets out of Tennessee. Meanwhile, the Chargers keep winning. I said it before, I'll say it again. They will be a playoff team this season. I believe they're going to be the top wildcard team. Lions pick up a victory in Miami yesterday. They look good. Lions continue to impress. Matthew Stafford, pretty much flawless yesterday. Slinging the ball well, 18 for 22, 217 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. And Kerryon Johnson continues to be a heck of a fine rookie out of Auburn, 19 touches for 158 yards. He is the stability the Lions have been looking for in the backfield for who knows how long now. Jacksonville, one of the final four teams in the NFL last season, they lost their third straight. At one point, the defense looked like it was the bread and butter. It set the standard for the NFL. And suddenly, they're below 500 after yesterday's loss to Houston. Jacksonville is in trouble. It all starts with Leonard Fournette. Jacksonville needs Leonard Fournette to come back in the worst way. I'll say this. I compare Jacksonville and what they want to do to what Mike Zimmer is doing up in Minnesota. Mike Zimmer is a head coach that... He loves his defense. He's a defensive-minded coach. He wants to run the ball, keep the offense on the field, grind and pound it and keep the clock moving, and give his defense as much time to rest, be on the sideline, and be healthy. Jacksonville wants to do the same thing. And when Leonard Fournette, a strong, reliable running back, has been on the field and healthy, they've been able to do that. Their defense gets to stay on the sideline for an extended amount of time. They get a rest, recuperate, what have you. And without Leonard Fournette, they've had to go to a backup system with guys who just can't carry the load like Fournette could. Minnesota's a little deeper at running back. Latavius Murray has picked up the slack. He stepped up in a big way in the absence of Dalvin Cook. T.J. Yeldon has not done that for Leonard Fournette. Will Carlos Hyde be the difference remains to be seen. But the Jacksonville defense is overtaxed right now. They're on the field way too much because they have running backs that can't carry the load with what Doug Marone wants to do. He wants to grind and pound it at you, run the clock, and have a time-consuming drive. And right now he's getting quick offensive series. Having Leonard Fournette in the backfield made it so easy on Blake Bortles. He just had to hand it off, maybe mix in an occasional pass once in a while. Now he's in a situation where he is forced to be the star of that offense. And he couldn't deliver it, especially yesterday, getting benched for Cody Kessler. Indianapolis, they went big over Buffalo yesterday. Defense doesn't allow a touchdown. Andrew Luck, bless his heart. He continues to come back and look good. I feel for a guy like Andrew Luck. He's another guy I'm not sure we're ever going to get to see how good he really could be. 
Is Andrew Luck worthy of winning a Super Bowl? I wouldn't say right now, no. You think about it maybe a couple of years ago when he was healthy, at least healthier. And Indianapolis is doing no favors with the team that they have around him. So you love to see a guy like that achieve a little success, albeit they're 2-5, and five, but a big win yesterday. You just don't want to see talent like that wasted at a place where he can't win. Kind of like what we're seeing with Mariota out of Tennessee. Is Mariota a legit NFL quarterback and would he succeed somewhere else? I think he could. But the Tennessee formula, as long as he's there, just isn't going to gel with him. New England, a seven-point victory yesterday in Chicago. The Bears, at one point, were a 3-1 and one team. Their defense was leading the way for them. And just like that, they drop out of first place in the North. The Bears continue to struggle for whatever reason. They're starting to realize the defense can only do so much. Khalil Mack, he has been an energizer for that defense, make no mistake. But Bill Belichick, his calling guard has been, whatever side of the ball he's on, he neutralizes your best player. Your best player is not going to beat you. He did that last week with Patrick Mahomes. He did that yesterday with Khalil Mack. To beat New England, you have to get good games from your secondary, maybe even third-level guys. Your best player is not going to beat New England. Bill Belichick makes sure of it. Look what happened in the Super Bowl. Carson Wentz didn't have a chance to beat New England. Nick Foles, the backup, no one thought that was going to happen. He had to step in, play a great game, and he did. New England neutralized Cleo Mack yesterday. They will make sure that the opponent's best player will never be the one to beat them. And when you take Khalil Mack out of the equation, it's almost like he was never in Chicago. And then you think, what are the Bears without him? You think where the Bears are this season without Khalil Mack. They're 3-3 three and three right now. Can't imagine they'd be any better. Certainly would have lost a game or two, maybe. Things are starting to unravel for the Bears. I said it earlier, when they were 3-1, and one, that was the highest level of football they were going to play. They might still win games. If they can keep up that level of consistency they showed in the first four games of the year, if they can play that through the final 12 of the regular season, they'll be a playoff team. But they weren't going to elevate to another level. And in fact, they've digressed. They've gotten worse since then. Cleveland continues to find themselves in overtime games, and they continue to find ways to lose. Falling by three yesterday against Tampa Bay. Cleveland has now gone 24 straight road games without a victory. 24 road games, you play eight in a regular season. That's three years without a victory on the road for Cleveland. Streak continues yesterday as Tampa wins it in overtime. Carolina down 17-0 entering the fourth quarter against the defending Super Bowl champs. No problem. Panthers come back and win 21-17. Greg Olson game-winning catch with over a minute to go. What's going on with Philadelphia? Just like Jacksonville, Philadelphia one of the final four teams last year. They went on to win it. And just like that, they're a below 500 team. They're 3-4. and four. What's going on over in Philadelphia? You wonder if that Super Bowl hangover might be a, something real? Something to worry about? It shouldn't be, especially with Carson Wentz back. New Orleans winning over Baltimore. Drew Brees gets his 500th career touchdown. And he beats Baltimore, the last team that he has not beaten in his career. 24-23 the final, Saints winning on a missed extra point by Justin Tucker. The most consistent kicker in the NFL misses an extra point, and that proves to be the difference. 
The Saints looking like the team to beat in the NFC South. They're starting to come alive and take control of that division, as they should. Now, where does Drew Brees rank among NFL quarterbacks? This is something that's been weighing on my mind quite a bit. He has one Super Bowl. So does Aaron Rodgers. Where do you compare him with a guy like Aaron Rodgers? Keep in mind, only four NFL quarterbacks have ever thrown for 500 touchdowns. Peyton Manning's on that list. He's won two Super Bowls. Tom Brady has won five, and he's on that list. Brad Favre being the other. So you look at a guy like Drew Brees, and you wonder where does he stack up among the greats. He's completing 80% of his passes. That's unreal. Drew Brees has been the epitome of consistency. So where do you rank Drew Brees among the NFL's all-time greats? Drew Brees is a guy I like a lot. He went against the odds. Small in stature, didn't matter. He's an NFL superstar, and he's about as consistent as they come. Not only is he a great guy off the field with everything he's done for the city of New Orleans, that aside, where does he rank strictly on a performance-based scale? Where does he compare with a guy like Aaron Rodgers? Both have one Super Bowl ring. But you look at one of the biggest comparisons between those two. Now, should you compare quarterbacks based on how many Super Bowls they have? Of course not. Of course not. But it does happen. Unfortunate as it is, that's the way a lot of people make their quarterback comparisons, is based on how many championships you have. And there's so many other factors that can go into it. How good your defense is. How good your coaching scheme is. You look at Drew Brees compared to Aaron Rodgers. You can compare them all you want. But you look at the coaching for one thing. One thing that Drew Brees has had that Aaron has not had is an offensive genius designing an offense for him. Sean Payton, far and away one of the best offensive minds in the NFL. Mike McCarthy, I'm not going to say that I want him out of Green Bay, but he leaves a lot to be desired. And I think we can all agree he's not getting the most out of this Packer team right now. If you think about what quarterback you want to have the ball in the fourth quarter with the game on the line, who comes to mind? Aaron Rodgers? Drew Brees? Tom Brady? But why does Tom Brady come to mind? Because the success he's had. Not only has he had a great offensive scheme and great coaching, he's had great defenses behind him. Certainly had better defenses than Brees and Rodgers have had in their careers. But people will look at Brady and they will put him among the greatest to ever play the game because of those five championships. Not to say Tom Brady isn't one of the greatest that ever played the game, but that unit of measurement is wrong. Think about Peyton Manning. If he didn't win that second Super Bowl, if he didn't win it with Denver, where would fans imagine he stacks up? If Peyton Manning had one Super Bowl ring going into retirement, less than Eli, if Peyton had a one less ring than Eli, what would people think? Super Bowls are not how you measure a quarterback and his success throughout his career. Drew Brees just etched himself as one of the greatest of all time with one Super Bowl win. Speaking of quarterbacks making a name for themselves, Jared Goff continues to shine L.A. No problems with San Fran yesterday. The Rams undefeated at 7-0 as they continue to play good football. Dallas Missed opportunities late. Maybe a few controversial calls sprinkled in there, but nonetheless, they fall to Washington 20-17. to 
Brent Maher a chance to tie the game at the end with a 52-yard field goal. It follows a five-yard penalty, keep in mind. Field goal comes up just short. Dallas loses by three. And then Sunday night football. We all thought this was going to be a fantastic game. Nope. Patrick Mahomes continues to do Patrick Mahomes things. 22 touchdowns in his first eight games of the season. Something no quarterback has ever done. Mentioning quarterbacks making names for themselves. He goes over 300 yards again. Completing 28 passes last night. Four of them for touchdowns. And does Kansas City finally have a defense? They did well last night. A.J. Green gave them a ton of credit after the game. They switched some things up. They looked really good. Slowing down a potent Cincinnati offense who looked like they had momentum despite last week's last-second loss against Pittsburgh. But Kansas City is rolling on both sides of the ball right now. We knew they could score. But now the defense is starting to show that it has a little swagger. And they're going to get more healthy. As the year goes on, we've got more coming up on the sports pen throughout the day. Keep it tuned right here to ESPN UP and the ESPN UP mobile app. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN UP and on the ESPN UP app. Welcome back to the Sports Pen on ESPN UP. Don't forget, Pigskin Payday is back. Pick the winner of each week's game to win. Play all season long for the $100,000 grand prize. Only at Ojibwe Casino in Barriga and Marquette. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad that you're with us. ESPN UP, the ESPN UP app. We've got Monday Night Football coming up this evening. Is anybody excited for this game? New York Giants visiting the Atlanta Falcons. 8-15 kickoff here in the East Coast from Atlanta. Falcons... Plagued with injuries. The Giants, again, not good. Offensive line, not good. How will they recover post-Eric Flowers from that Thursday night debacle that they had 11 days ago? The defense is what worries me most from a Giants perspective. Last week against Philadelphia, they looked like they had no business being on the field and like they didn't want to be there. That was probably the worst game I've seen Janoris Jack Rabbit Jenkins play. The defense just looked uninspired out there. They looked like they were out of it. Odell Beckham needs an attitude adjustment. The team seems to be giving up on Eli Manning as a leader. Saquon is the only highlight for Giants fans right now in an abysmal season. A 1-5 start. Doesn't look like they're going to be getting any better, even above 500. Feel for Pat Shermer. A great coach, great offensive mind. He's in a situation where he's not going to have success. Just doesn't have the pieces around him. And right now he doesn't have the credibility in that locker room. Because you've got headstrong players who think that they know better than everybody else. It's come to the point where John Mara, Odell Beckham, been calling each other out in the media. John Mara, team owner, saying it's time for Odell to quit talking and play. Odell says he respects the owner's comments, but he doesn't regret anything. Back to the defense. What worries me the most tonight from a Giants perspective is Julio Jones. Matt Ryan is starting to get up there in age, but he can still sling the football. And Julio Jones is well up there in age, but he can still make plays. Julio's been racking up yards this season, top five in yards in the NFL, and he still doesn't have a touchdown catch. He won't come out and say that bothers him. Is it in the back of his mind? Maybe. Julio Jones is 400 yards exactly, 400 yards away from breaking a new NFL record for receiving yards without a touchdown. If he's got any game 
where he can realistically stop himself from breaking that record. I'm not sure if you want that record or not. As long as he's helping the team, but do you really want to go down with that record? This might be the game he can do it. Tonight would be the game to do it. He's taking on a Giants defense that isn't necessarily depleted. They got Olivier Vernon back. They just don't seem to care. They know it's a lost season they're playing in. They go to an opponent's house on Monday Night Football. All eyes on it, prime time. Julio Jones just gives me the feeling he's going to end his streak tonight and finally catch a touchdown. That's the NFL. We'll recap how the week went once the week officially concludes after tonight. We'll do so tomorrow on the sports pen. We'll switch to MLB. We've got plenty to go over in baseball. Obviously, the World Series matchup set. Brewers' magical run comes to an end in Game 7 of the NLCS. Dodgers take it. They advance to take on the Red Sox. But former Detroit manager Brad Ausmus has a new gig. He is replacing 19-year veteran Mike Sosha as the manager of the Los Angeles Angels. So Brad Ausmus back in the coaching scene after taking a year off since being released by the Tigers. Now, I know how Detroit fans feel about Brad Ausmus. We'll see if the Angels feel the same way. Though when you look at Ausmus and you wonder, what's he going to do differently? Is there really anything he can bring to the table that wasn't already there with Mike Sosha? Did the Angels get better with this move? I'm not sure that they did. Nothing against Brad Ausmus. But there's nothing unique about his style of managing that's going to be an upgrade over Mike Sosha. Now granted, moving on from Sosha was inevitable and needed to happen. But was Brad Osmus the best they could do? I'm not convinced that it was. And again, I don't want to rip on Brad Osmus. He was in a tough situation with Detroit. Fans forget the years that they had success underneath him. But I'm not sure that Brad Osmus is that kind of a fit out in Los Angeles. And you know, sometimes guys are good fits some places, and sometimes they're not. I just don't see, as the Angels get Brad Ausmus to replace Mike Sosha, I don't see that as an upgrade. Here's where I wish we had unfiltered access to Mike Trout. I'd love to get inside his head, hear his thoughts, and know what he's thinking about this move. How much longer does he have there? He wants to win a title. He's good enough to do it. Arguably the best player in Major League Baseball. He's got to get out of L.A. I'd say the same thing if Mike Sosha was still there. He's got to get out of L.A. Mike Trout is just not going to be winning there. He's not going to win division if he hasn't already. Certainly not going to win a World Series. Speaking of the World Series, matchup is set. Dodgers taking on the Red Sox. Two of the most storied franchises in baseball. Can you believe this is only the second time ever they've met in the World Series? The Red Sox and Dodgers franchises have only met once before in the World Series, all the way back in 1916. 102 years ago was the only other time these two storied franchises met in the Fall Classic. I know I would have liked to have the Brewers there. I know a lot of fans here would have too. But isn't this a cool matchup? The history, the franchises, the two ballparks. It's going to be a great World Series atmosphere. When they met in 1916, the Dodgers weren't even from L.A. They were still the Brooklyn Dodgers then. This will be the first time the Boston Red Sox and the Los Angeles Dodgers meet in the Fall Classic. It's going to be a fun series. I know we would have liked to have the Brewers there. 
and I don't think it's far away. They're on the right track. But the Dodgers exposed Milwaukee's weakness, which was starting pitching. The Brewers' clear advantage was the bullpen, and they didn't bring their A-game to this series. Brewers' bullpen left a lot to be desired here. That was their ace in the hole against the Dodgers, and they virtually didn't bring it. Offensively, those two teams are pretty comparable, but the starting pitching the Brewers had this year was just not good enough to be in the World Series. There may be one or two starting pitchers away. I want to see them make moves this offseason. Brewers are right there. They've got the pieces in place to do what they did this year, come within one game of winning the World Series. They may have even exceeded expectations for what they have on the roster. I believe they did. But there may be one, two starting pitchers away from taking a stranglehold on the NL for next season. That's what I'm hoping they do here in the offseason. You talk about this World Series, though. This is going to be fun. I don't think anybody saw Boston beating Houston in five games. Boston comes back from down 1-0 in the series. They ended up winning the ALCS. They're into the World Series. 108 regular season wins, most in team history. Boston does so much right, whether it's the pitching staff, offensively, obviously the bullpen, very shaky for them. Has to be better here in the World Series. Has to be. What does this mean for the Dodgers? If they don't win it this year, I'm convinced they're not going to before a major rebuild. Teams have about that three or four year window of opportunity to win it. Dodgers are right on the end of that. How much better can your roster look than what the Dodgers have this year? Realistically, what better roster can you put together for one major league team? They have superstar talent riding the bench, two or three guys deep every game. They are that deep. They have got to win it this year, otherwise they're not going to without a major rebuild. They'll still be a contender in the NL, but they're not going to be a World Series contender. The big question is, how hot will Dave Roberts' seat get if the Dodgers don't do it this year? You couldn't ask for much more talented rosters than what he has had in the last couple of years. Dave Roberts came close last year. Is this the year that he can finally put L.A. over the top? Dodgers and Red Sox in the World Series starting tomorrow night, Game 1 at Fenway Park. It's compelling stuff. It's going to be a lot of fun. Halfway home on today's sports pen, we'll take a timeout, we'll come back, we'll talk the NBA over the weekend, and college sports, a wild weekend, especially in the Big Ten. All that and more coming up in the sports pen, ESPN-UP and the ESPN-UP app. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP, the ESPN-UP app. I'm Tanner Hoops. Don't forget, Pigskin Payday's back. Pick the winner of each week's game to win. Play all season long for the $100,000 grand prize. Only at Ojibwe Casino in Barriga and Marquette. Well, we look back over the weekend, play to go over from all around the sports landscape. Everything in action. As a sports fan, you love that. Let's look at the NBA and college sports this weekend. Things got a little ugly in both of them, whether it be the Lakers and Rockets or Michigan-Michigan State. Starting with the Lakers-Rockets, fight breaking out during the L.A. home opener. First home game for LeBron at Staples Center in a Laker uniform. So suspensions were handed out. Brandon Ingram appeared to instigate the conflict. He got four games. Rajon Rondo got three. Chris Paul got two. 
Now, a lot of controversy has come over why Chris Paul was suspended. He certainly wasn't an instigator. He didn't even throw a punch. You wonder what Chris Paul should have done better in this situation. His head coach, Mike D'Antoni, agrees. I mean, what is he supposed to do? Just stand there and get spit on and then take a face uh, punch in the face and then say, well, that's okay. I mean, it doesn't make any sense to me. But anyway, they're doing the best they can do. It's a hard situation. I understand that. So we'll go on. Uh, we'll be fine. But uh, I just don't think it's equitable. Gotta say, I'm having a hard time disagreeing with D'Antoni. I don't know what Chris Paul could have done better. I mean, he got upset, as he rightfully should have, getting spit on, getting physically assaulted on the court. A guy who has been very mild-mannered. Chris Paul, one of the good guys, he seems to be known around the NBA. You know, just an ugly scene that is unfortunate we see at any level, like we saw in East Lansing over the weekend. Things got very chippy. It's always a rivalry between Michigan and Michigan State. Always a rivalry. But it got a little bit more nasty than usual. In case you missed it, Michigan State and their, their pregame ritual is you do a walk from end zone to end zone. The entire team lines up, walks the length of the field, end zone to end zone. Michigan players standing on the field refused to get out of the way. There was a little bit of shoving, some heated words exchanged. Later on, Michigan decides to rip up the logo at midfield, kick up the Spartan logo. Michigan ends up winning the game 21-7. But does a performance like that get overshadowed by what happened pregame? Maybe what happened after the game? A rivalry is a rivalry. There's going to be a lot of bad blood between the two schools, no doubt. But Michigan wins 21-7. Big win. They're right in the thick of things for the college football playoff conversation. They hold Michigan State to just 95 yards. Michigan State coming off a monster win over Penn State, and they hold them to 95 yards in East Lansing. I mean, I watched that game. Michigan State could do nothing. I'm sure plenty of you watched that game. They could do nothing. It was one of the most boring, uncreative offensive attacks I've ever seen out of Mark D'Antonio's team. Michigan State could do nothing, and yet the biggest takeaway people are having from that game, right or wrong, is the chippiness. The extracurriculars. It's unfortunate, but that's the reality of it. Right or wrong, that's what people are taking away from it. How about a silver lining for teams in the Big Ten? That would be a 49-20 victory for Purdue over Ohio State on Saturday night. I don't think anybody saw that coming. Ohio State's postseason chances all but gone now. All but gone. Second straight year, Ohio State has gone on the road as one of the top four teams and they've lost to a conference opponent in blowout fashion when they probably shouldn't have. Last season, it was at Iowa, 55-24. This season, at Purdue. Give the Boilermakers a ton of credit. They looked absolutely fearless. You see a lot of teams, they trail to Ohio State early on. They start putting points on. They just give up. Purdue just shrugs it off, says, okay. Comes right back down the field and scores. What a great win for Purdue. So what does that loss mean for Ohio State's postseason chances as far as the college football playoff? If Ohio State wins out, they go 11-1, maybe 12-1 if they can get to the Big Ten championship game and win it. Do they have any shot at the college football playoff anymore? No. I don't believe they do. Not anymore. 
there are too many good one-loss teams and still plenty of good unbeaten teams. It's going to come down to who has the worst loss out of the one-loss teams. And right now, Ohio State is at the bottom of the barrel. Look at a team like Michigan. If they win out, they go 12-1 and with their only loss being to Notre Dame. And as long as Notre Dame keeps winning and they're a playoff team, how do you leave Michigan out? I know, I know, that is the big catch-22 for Michigan fans. You never want to root for Notre Dame. But as long as Notre Dame keeps winning and they become a playoff team and they handed Michigan their only loss all the way back in week one, there's no way that you can leave Michigan out of the college football playoff. I don't care who's ahead of them right now. Michigan is a playoff team. If they went out and Notre Dame finishes in the top four, Notre Dame and Michigan both have to get in if that happens. Have to. You look at LSU. Their only loss was a couple of weeks ago by eight points on the road against Florida. Florida very much an up-and-coming team right now. They are sneakily getting their way into the college football playoff conversation. Now, granted, they were taken out of it early on after losing to Kentucky, and that loss doesn't look near as bad anymore. And the Gators are suddenly right back on the cusp of getting into the conversation, especially with a chance for a statement win this weekend at Georgia. Speaking of the Bulldogs, what about their playoff chances? They're at number seven with one loss. That loss came against LSU, who's ranked number four in the country right now. So where does Georgia fit into the conversation if they win out? You know Alabama's going to be there. Alabama's a lock to do it. Clemson, for me, has to win out if they want to get into the college football playoff. The ACC is not good enough to field a one-loss team. Clemson has to win out if they want to get into the playoff. The one-loss field is just way too crowded right now. And I guarantee you, whoever hands Clemson their one loss... If it's an ACC team, it's going to be about as bad as Purdue's was to Ohio State. It's going to take it right out of the conversation among the one-loss teams. Clemson has to win out to get in. There's too many good SEC schools that would deserve to get in over them if they don't take care of business. Now, Clemson takes care of business. They go 13-0 ACC champs. Of course, they're going to get in. Notre Dame, if they take care of business, they win their last five and finish 12-0. They're going to get in. Michigan takes care of business. They went out, win the Big Ten Championship. They're only lost to Notre Dame, another playoff team. They're going to get in. Those three teams control their own destiny. Then you look at the November 3rd matchup between number one Alabama when they visit number four LSU. Provided neither of those teams takes a loss by then, that could very well be a play-in game. LSU and Alabama. It's an elimination game for LSU. They won't get into the playoff with two losses. Alabama still might if that's their only loss. But then who do you knock out? If Michigan, Notre Dame, and Clemson all win out, I don't think you can knock any of those out of the playoff. All three of those teams would deserve to go. Whoever wins the SEC championship will probably join them. You look on the other side of the SEC division, Florida and Georgia this weekend, that will be for the division championship. And provided they can win out, their only path is to win the SEC and try to get in with one loss. And in that case, I think they do. Whether it's Florida, who lost in week two, 
or Georgia, who lost a couple of weeks ago, that is their path to get into the college football playoff. And it may come at the expense of Alabama if Alabama's only playing 12 games and they're 11-1. and Maybe even if they're the other team in the SEC championship and they get knocked out. Alabama can realistically drop out of the top four. And Texas fans are wondering where they fit into this. Well, the truth is they lost to Maryland. That's not a good loss. Yeah, I know Texas is not the same team anymore, and they've got quality wins on the schedule. They're going to go to a great bowl game. But Texas, with their loss to Maryland, it's going to loom large. I know they're not the same team anymore, but it still happened. And that's what's going to keep Texas out of the college football playoff unless they get a ton of help. Let's look at the college football rankings entering play this weekend. Alabama, they are the undisputed number one team in the land. They get all first place votes in the AP poll. Then you have Clemson, Notre Dame, both 7-0, 2-3, and LSU at 7-1 round out the top four. That would make the college football playoff. If the season ended today, Alabama would take on LSU. They meet in Baton Rouge in a couple of weeks, and Notre Dame would draw Clemson. The next two out, Michigan and Texas, both one-loss teams, 5-6. and six. Then you have Georgia, Oklahoma, Florida, and Central Florida rounding out the top ten. Ohio State dropping all the way back to number 11. They tumbled nine spots. Kentucky is up to number 12. West Virginia holding at number 13. Then you've got Washington State right up to number 14. Up 11 spots after their statement win in prime time this weekend. And then the U of Washington is 15th. 16th Texas A&M followed by Penn State and Iowa. Oregon then Wisconsin rounding out the top 20. South Florida, North Carolina State, Utah, Stanford and Appalachian State joins the top 25. They have won five straight since their overtime loss to Penn State in their season opener. Well, I mentioned the Washington State Cougars hosted college game day. Came to Pullman for the first time ever this weekend. They show off with a 34-20 win over Oregon. In honor of College Game Day's inaugural trip to Pullman, here's the greatest Mike Leach soundbite ever. There's nothing balanced about 50% run, 50% pass, because that's 50% stupid. Now, uh, what, what, uh, what is balanced is when you have five skill positions, if all five of them are contributing to the offensive effort in a somewhat equal fashion, then that's balanced. But this notion that if you hand it to one guy, 50% of the time, and then you throw it to a combination of two guys, the other 50%, that you're really balanced, and you proudly pat yourself on the back uh, uh, and tell yourself that. And people have been doing that for decades. Well, then you're delusional. Who would not like to have Mike Leach coaching their team? Is he not a national treasure? There's nothing balanced about 50% run, 50% pass, because that's 50% stupid. Whatever works for you, Mike, as long as you keep winning ball games. His team with 400 yards of total offense in the win over Oregon. They only rush for 77 of it. Coming up, we've got NCAA hockey to talk about. They were in action this weekend. An action-filled weekend. For the second straight week, the number one ranked team in men's hockey fell. In fact, the number ones in the men's and women's poll both went down this weekend. Find out how that affects the rankings. Plus, we'll look back at Northern's weekend when we come back on ESPN-UP and the ESPN-UP app.
Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Don't forget, Pigskin Payday's back. Pick the winner of each week's game to win. Play all season long for the $100,000 grand prize. Only at Ojibwe Casino in Barriga and Marquette. Once again, Tanner Hoops with you on this Monday afternoon. We're winding it down. Look at that, already one day through the work week. You can check that right off the board. We have got NCAA hockey and basketball to round out today's segment of the Sports Pen. Let's look ahead to hockey. And what happened over the weekend, Northern Michigan went over to St. Cloud, Minnesota, took on the St. Cloud Huskies, fourth-ranked team in the country, and Northern is swept. St. Cloud's a real deal. They looked really good over there, taking both games over the weekend, although Adi Tolvanen and Troy Loggins each put on the Wildcat sweater for the 100th time in their career. They become the third and fourth Wildcats to do so. They join Denver Pierce and Ryan Black. So that's the silver lining for Northern Michigan over the weekend. They are home this weekend, open up conference play against Bemidji State Friday and Saturday. Well, the number one team in the country went down for the second straight week in men's hockey. Ohio State losing to UMass 6-3 on Friday. What a bad weekend for Ohio State. Football ranked second. They lose to Purdue. Hockey ranked number one. They lose to UMass. The number one team in both the men's and women's side of things fell this weekend. So we check the new poll. First on the men's side, Notre Dame is the top-ranked team in the country. They get 28 first-place votes, three wins, no losses, and one tie. Notre Dame moves up to number one. St. Cloud jumping from number four to number two with their sweep over Northern this weekend. Then you have Minnesota Duluth, the defending national champions. Ohio State falling back to number four. And then Minnesota, the Gophers, are up to number five. So you get three Big Ten teams in the top five. And the other two coming from the NCHC. So you have Notre Dame, St. Cloud State, Minnesota Duluth, Ohio State, and Minnesota. The top five in men's college hockey this week. Providence comes in sixth. Minnesota State in seventh. Pretty good week for them. They are ranked number one in the Division II football poll just ahead of Ferris State. That also came out today. So Providence, Minnesota State, six and seven, followed by Cornell, who's yet to open the season. Denver comes in at number nine, and then Penn State is in tenth. Then you have Union at number 11. Union. Four wins and one tie this season. Michigan, with such high expectations for them, off to a 1-2 and two start this season. They fall to number 12. Princeton yet to open the season. They sit at 13th. Wisconsin, a 3-1 and one start to the year. They jump in at number 14. Then Bowling Green rounds out the top 15. UMass, after their victory over Ohio State, they go from unranked to number 16 in this week's poll, followed by North Dakota, Northeastern, Western Michigan, and Quinnipiac. That rounds out the top 20 in men's college hockey this week. Once again, Notre Dame, St. Cloud State, Minnesota Duluth, Ohio State, Minnesota, the top five. Providence, Minnesota State, Cornell, Denver, Penn State, the top 10. 11 through 15, Union, Michigan, Princeton, Wisconsin, Bowling Green, and 16 through 20, UMass, North Dakota, Northeastern, Western Michigan, and Quinnipiac. Just outside the top 20, top teams receiving votes, Colorado College, Boston University, and Clarkson with Bemidji State right after them. Keep in mind, Bemidji is here in Marquette this weekend, taking on Northern, who is no longer receiving votes. 
Looking at the NCAA women's poll again, the number one team in women's college hockey went down this weekend on Wisconsin. The Badgers are the new number one team in women's college hockey. Clarkson, the only team that stayed in the top five over the weekend. They sit at number two, Minnesota third, Ohio State fourth, Minnesota Duluth rounding out the top five. Six through ten, Boston College, Cornell, Northeastern, Colgate, and St. Lawrence. That is the top ten in women's college hockey. Wisconsin, the new number one. Clarkson, Minnesota, Ohio State, and Minnesota Duluth. Then you have Boston College, Cornell, Northeastern, Colgate, and St. Lawrence, the top ten in women's college hockey this week. So that's a look around the college hockey landscape and what changed this weekend. This just dropped earlier today around noontime, the first NCAA basketball poll. The men's college basketball preseason poll is out, and we're going to run through the top 25 for you. We're going to do it in dramatic fashion. We're going to start with number 25 and work our way down to number one. Coming in at number 25, the Washington Huskies coming off a 21-13 and 13th season. They sit 25th in the preseason poll. Then Purdue at 30-7 and seven a season ago, they come in at number 24. LSU out of the SEC, 18-15 and 15 last year. Higher expectations for them as they get into the top 25 at number 23. Clemson was 25-10 and 10 last season. They start out at number 22. And UCLA finished 21-12. Coach Alford and the guys are ranked 21st to start the preseason. So again... 25th, Washington, 24th, Purdue, 23rd, LSU, 22nd, Clemson, and 21st, UCLA. How about the top 20? Number 20, TCU, 21-12, and 12, Jamie Dixon's group out of the Big 12. High expectations for them. The bar continues to be raised. Number 19, the Michigan Wolverines, a defending national runner-ups, a 33-8 and 8 season a year ago. They will start the season at number 19. 18th. Mississippi State from the SEC, 25-12 and 12 a season ago. Florida State comes in at number 17. They were 23-12 and 12 in 2018. 16th, you have Syracuse, another ACC squad, 23-14 and 14 last year. So that is 16 through 20 in the preseason men's basketball poll. 20th TCU, 19th Michigan, 18th Mississippi State, 17th Florida State, and 16th Syracuse. The top 15 starts out with another ACC school, Virginia Tech, 21-12 and 12 a season ago. Bar continues to be raised for them. Oregon comes in at number 14, 23-13 out of the Pac-12 last year. West Virginia, 26-11 a season ago. They are ranked 13th to start the 2018-2019 season. Kansas State is up to number 12, 25-12 last year. The Wildcats out of the Big 12 are ranked number 12. And Auburn from the SEC, 26-8. They are number 11. So again, 11-15 through 15 in 15th, Virginia Tech, 14, Oregon, 13, West Virginia, 12, Kansas State, and 11 is Auburn. Now, time for the top 10, 30 and 5 a year ago. Welcome to the number 10 spot. The Michigan State Spartan Sparty comes in, ranked in the top 10 to start 2018. Villanova got a first place vote, but they're number 9 in the overall rankings. 36 and 4, the defending national champs from a season ago. 
They start this season ranked ninth. North Carolina, 26-11. and 11, They are ranked eighth. How about Nevada? They're ranked number seven to start this season, 29-8. and eight. Maybe a surprise for a lot of teams. Nevada, ranked seventh to start the season. I know this one will surprise a lot of people. Tennessee, not only ranked sixth, they got a first-place vote. They're coming off a 26-9 and nine season out of the SEC. You knew expectations were going to be higher for them, but ranked sixth? I don't know that a lot of people saw that. Again, 6 through 10, starting with number 10, Michigan State. Number 9, Villanova. Number 8, North Carolina. 7th, Nevada. And 6th, Tennessee. How about the top five? You get a one seed, you become the first ever one seed to lose to a number 16 in the NCAA tournament. You still get two first place votes and a top five ranking to start the year. That's Virginia, 31-3 and a season ago. But one of those losses coming in the NCAA tournament to UMBC, the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. First time ever, a number one seed in the NCAA tournament lost to a number 16 seed. Then you have Duke, 29-8. and They are ranked fourth. They're the highest ranked of the ACC teams. So Duke got four first-place votes. They come in at number four. One first-place vote for Gonzaga out of the WCC West Coast Conference, 32-5 last season, and the Zags are ranked third. The number two ranked team in the country, Kentucky. They got 19 first-place votes. The Wildcats 26-11, a revamped squad, but they do that pretty well. The number one ranked college basketball team in the country to start the season? Kansas University, the Jayhawks, 37 first-place votes. They went 31-8 and eight a season ago. The Jayhawks, a revamped squad, are the number one ranked team in college basketball to start the preseason. So once again, the top five, Virginia, Duke at number four, Gonzaga, Kentucky at number two, and Kansas is the top-ranked team in the land to start the 2018-2019 season. Then, just outside of the top 25 teams receiving votes, remember Loyola? Remember Sister Jean? Yeah, they haven't gone anywhere since their final four appearance last year. They are the highest team receiving votes that's not in the top 25. They're followed by Marquette, Indiana, Florida, and then Nebraska would be 26 through 30 if the rankings expanded. If you look at the Badgers, they are just outside the top 30 in terms of teams receiving votes. You have Maryland ahead of them, then Wisconsin, followed by Notre Dame, Cincinnati, and Central Florida, among other notables. So that is the preseason top 25 in men's college basketball. The madness is almost here. We're going to be tipping off here before you know it. We're going to be flipping the calendar to November before you know it. And then things are really going to heat up. College football playoff race gets tighter. Hockey starts getting into conference play. You get some of those tournaments that everyone pays attention to. Basketball is tipping off. We'll have a World Series champion by then. A lot to be excited about here in this upcoming month. As we start to wind down in the sports pen on this Monday afternoon, I want to leave you with this. Big shout-out to Kyle Nystrom and the Northern football team. They win big this weekend over Lawrence Tech, 65-7. to is the final score. Second win of the year for the Wildcats as they get back to winning ways. They take down Lawrence Tech in a big way. It was 30 to nothing after one quarter. You just feel like it was only a matter of time before a win of that caliber was achieved. Those guys had been inching toward putting it all together 
And then they do in a big way on Saturday, the win over Lawrence Tech. If you missed it, you can check out the highlights on our YouTube page. It's linked to our social media sites on Facebook and Twitter. If you're not already, get connected with us on there. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at ESPNUP. By the way, big one coming up next week for the Northern football team. Not only is hockey home for the first time this season, the afternoon features the football game against Michigan Tech. If you think that the Superior Dome's been rocking before, just wait till you see that atmosphere. That's going to be Super Bowl caliber for the UP. That's the UP Super Bowl. That's coming up on Saturday here in Marquette, preceding the hockey home opener. That's going to do it for us here in the Sports Pen. As always, thank you for being with us. Hope you enjoyed the show as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. We're back on tomorrow, same time and place, 4 o'clock Eastern, 3 o'clock Central, on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app, which you can get for free at the Apple Eye Store or Google Play. Signing off from the ESPN-UP, WZAM, Ishpeming Marquette Studios, I'm Tanner Hoops. We turn it over to the Will Kane Show.